Turn off the lights. Turn off the cameras. It's time for Thriller! to a very spooky cinematic yes. podcast. I'm Vincent uh, Price. I've heard that I'm very good at accents and you I'm are. going to try to make that seem wrong as much as possible. Uh, See, I'm good <laughs> at making them wrong because I'm not good at accents. So I have no problem making the accent seem wrong and saying all sorts of Halloween inappropriateness like how did that Clorox? Never mind. Um, <laughs> As always, that's your your spooky host uh, with some spooky stuff about how to close. Uh, that's Rick Acevedo. Hi, hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and the person who learned from the crypt keeper himself, Jonathan Gondois, up here with you. That's how I learned my hosting duties from the crypt keeper. That's why I, I gotta say, I gotta jokes. say. So I got to say, before we get into it, in tonight's uh, podcast, in tonight's spooky podcast, I got to say this, and, I, and I'm really just saying this to all of our fans, Jonathan is the greatest, and I swear, the great. you remember when I told you how this man had, like, the movie theater in his house with the popcorn and stuff? He also has something else that none of you know anything about, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share something with you about us Cinemagicians. And that is the fact that Jonathan has an entire closet dedicated to costumes. I'm mm. talking about Dr. Mr. Popcorn. Uh, mm. I don't, I forget what it was. That's why I said yeah. both. Um, I'm talking about Castlevania characters. The man could even become Voltron. I am talking about he will form Voltron with his own body. In like the weirdest way, quite frankly, none of us really understand how that even works. But it, it's literally like a globe will form around him, the lions and everything, and he's got a cat. So there you it, go. It's mostly body paint and prosthetics for the Voltron, mostly. Oh. And you got to bend a certain way to be able to bend the way I need yeah. to do to transform. So if you could suck your, and you could turn into Voltron. I'm... <laughs> Keeper, man, I learned from the Crypt Keeper all my jokes. Moving on, <laughs> welcome to a very scary month of the Magic Podcast. This is our right, first one right. for all of October, mm -hmm. where we're gonna be horror themed and related to everything horror and slasher and scary and spooky uh, in film this month in Cinemagic. Uh, Rick is really doing this for me because I love horror. I love the horror genre. Um, I've watched the horror genre since I was a literal child, uh, way before I should have. Listen, I saw Freddy's Dead, A Final Nightmare in theaters. I was born in 84. You do the math. 
Um. <laughs> so you're watching that when you were eight years old? Holy crap. In theaters. <laughs> Wait, no. Freddy's Dead was not 92, was it? Can you check? It's 91. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I was watching that in theaters. This is, uh, I'm telling you, I've literally grown up on horror. Uh, horror movies. I love horror movies. Uh, last podcast or a couple podcasts, I always tell you my love for bad movies. I love a bad horror movie. I've seen almost all the bad horror movies that have been released. Uh, and I'm not talking about some like direct-to-DVD stuff. I've seen some of those. But all the movie ones that tend to come out. Uh, worst one by far, save it for another podcast. Uh, but because <laughs> I can literally take a whole ba- podcast just talking about the crappiest scary movie I've ever seen. But either way, I love horror movies. I really do. And so, but I think uh, I think John, you know, to talk about um, to talk about horror films, really, one of the things that we have to kind of. I think make a point of mentioning is the fact that the horror genre itself has been around since literature so it's not like it's not like telling a horror story is really something new the medium is new but even with horror films if you go back to house of the devil which was made in 1896 yep um, first horror film first horror film ever you have to realize that this is this is a genre of fascination for everyone Yes, everyone. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The early days of horror. And uh, before we even go that, I agree with Rick. So if we go back, even though horror as even a literary genre uh, gets contributed to, you know, Mary Shelley and that whole group and Byron and all them and writing their Draculas and their Frankenstein, uh, the obsession with the macabre and death has existed for all of human history. If you think especially of stories of the underworld or devils or demons, these are all things that have have evoked us, scared us, right? Even our fairy tales used to be a little bit more scary than what we think of the Disney 5 version of it. That this fascination with the macabre has been around for almost all of human history. Um, yeah. Really. I think one of the things about horror that's enjoyable, really enjoyable, is the fact that you're always in a, and I mean, some people call it the jump cut now, really, but it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking beyond the jump cut into something more, more of that moment where you see things go from the, you know, optimistic, you know, begin, beginning where everyone's happy to that dark middle that seems to last forever. Mm-hmm. I absolutely and and that's really something that's been a part of um, of horror films pretty much since the beginning I would say but you know you see that you know whether it's the reveal of a monster or what have you you see something so freaking unique yeah you know? and, and before sci-fi was sci-fi uh, some of that imagination and even Hollywood happened in horror if you're talking about monsters and science and things that fly, those were happening in horror before the genre of science fiction existed in Hollywood, right? Yeah. This magic, the suspense, all of those crazy imaginative things were really happening in horror movies. And so I think horror movies is always a content to, one, air out all of your feelings, uh, uh, your anxieties, your fears, yeah. 
and kind of deal with them. Um, and also the, the creativity that that provides of just feature design and monsters and universes of a whole. And I think one of the things that that people have a tendency to, for, that to, to really forget about horror is that horror is almost, and I mean, this is really true for any film, but more so for horror in a lot of ways because you're allowing yourself to escape into something that's completely unreal for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 90% of it, you might have watched it um, in a, you know, or you might have read it in a book. Or read it in a magazine because they used to have horror stories in magazines back in the day. Yep. Um, so really, it's just, it's just delving into that world of the unreal. And I, and I don't want to say that all horror is based on, on, on lack of reality because that's not true. There's, there's aspects that come you know with it. But just you're venturing into that world and it's, only, it's almost like you're an interested, an interested observer in your protagonist's journey. It's you know. also a safe place to explore stuff that in real life you don't want to explore. No. Like, you know, serial killing, monsters, all this other stuff that you get to cathartically live through without actually having to do it. None of us actually want to live in a world, and I know we all say, oh, vampires would be so cool, but if you had monsters that could just at night just feed on you at any given time with no repercussion, who are more powerful than you, that's actually truly terrifying. And we feel that terror already with a lot of real life aspect. Bahara allows us to live in that aspect just for a little safely through the eyes of our characters and not really impact us truly, right? Because we get to live cathartically. We get to live these experiences cathartically. Like a roller coaster. We get to have the thrill and exhilaration without actually having to be in danger. You brought something up earlier, which was the creation of, of interesting and uh, unique characters. And I think we're horror really, early horror anyway, because now it's almost expected, but early, early horror into the, you know, into the 20s and 30s and even 40s, when it was a big part of, of the box office pie, mm-hmm. you know, the way the character look, you know, the makeup had so much to it. And makeup... Makeup is extremely underrated, I believe. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, just the level of work that goes into it, especially now. Makeup is extremely underrated. But, um, you know, with with horror, it's like, that's what made the film stand out. Because dramas and stuff like that, when you were talking about silent films especially, you needed something visually stunning. That's why slapstick comedy was so over... Because, oh, look, the Keystone Cops took down the building. <laughs> but that was something new. But newer still was to see these characters in full makeup and in a darker place and just things that were far more intricate. I think mm-hmm. they were far more intricate. And, I, and it opened up an entirely new era you know, between what George Melius was doing in the 1890s, late 1890s and stuff like that, and what happened later on, that's when you had, um, you know, Bela Lugosi, Bela Lugosi, um, mm-hmm. Lon Chaney, and Boris Karloff, like the sort of big three of horror, doing these horror films that were massive hits, 
and um, and standing out because the visuals were completely different than what was normally people were normally used to. So yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think what's always interesting is before horror was a genre in film, they would just call them like romances with a twist or like dramas <laughs> with a twist right? sometimes even mystery they would call it yeah. so you know everything but what we think is labeled horror which is very much true i feel like even to this day so when you think about uh what people consider serious actors like dramatic actors or everything right these serious actors well horror is serious they literally used to call them dramas right <laughs> drama or a romance with these imaginative characters and really bringing to life something that a lot of actors never get to play. You never usually on stage or anything else get to play horrific. Like, yes, maybe like a guy who's mean to people, but you don't really get to play a monster, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like an actual monster. Um, you don't really get to play that. So uh, it takes a lot of like character work and really great acting to bring these characters to life. I want to say in early horror, it really appreciated these characters, as you mentioned, as you went the name. They really appreciated these actors and what they did for these roles to bring these people larger in life, to really scare them, uh, uh, to get infectious with them. And, and great acting does that. Great story does that. Horror is more than just the jump scares that we think of, and early horror really paves that way for that. Because yeah. it's much more than just jump scares. Uh, it's it's much more about character and design from uh, uh, Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to Nosferatu, these iconic character designs that bleed over till this day, right? <laughs> Early horror establishes a look of monsters and villains and stuff that we think of till literally this day. It's literally still establishes it. I think also, too, um, a lot of times they tried to tell more sort of fantastic stories that visually were much more appealing than the Keystone Cops or, or anything Charlie Chaplin was doing. No disrespect to Chaplin, of course. I think mm. one of the early geniuses and pioneers of film. Yes. But like Cabinet of Dr. Cagliari. 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 Well, that one. All right. Mm. In, in, I think it was 1920. That one, visually stunning. And you yeah. have to, and you have to put things into their, their proper perspective too, because back then, like if you look at horror films from back in those days, they were interesting. They also relied very heavily on telling a story that was well paced. Yes. That didn't didn't really like. I challenge you to go back to any of those films all the way back to 1896 and tell me if you find a lot of that torture porn that you see now because you know now what you see is torture porn and it's like all right we're gonna make this horror film where this guy is basically got four meat meat hooks on his back and he's gonna be stretched out every time he says the word macaroni mm -hmm. right but you're not giving me anything because all you're doing is you're making him say macaroni over and over and over and over until plah, splat, he's split in half. So that doesn't add to the story. It basically makes me kind of disconnect from the story and wonder what, what what's going to happen next visually. Back in the early days of horror, and as you well pointed out, they were dramas, but they were dramas for a reason. 
they had a story that was paced out a certain way and there would be a, a reveal or an aha moment but that reveal and that aha moment was basically your payout yep and i feel that that's really what made them work as opposed to what we see now a lot of the time and don't get me wrong i still love horror but you know yeah so uh, and when we're talking early horror 1920s like 1896 like it's 100% right the first horror movie the 20s the early 10s and 20s they start getting big but then in older hollywood you have the 1930s which is kind of considered like the golden age of horror right that's, uh, right. that's, that's when right. dracula comes out a remake of Frankenstein. We talked last week about Frankenstein. Creature. Not Frankenstein, sorry, reboots and remakes. So this is even Creature, more. Had a, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, they were remaking movies already. So again, remakes always happen. Hollywood's always been making remakes. Uh, that's when you have that. Uh, you got like King Kong even coming out, which would could consider that. Uh, the Mummy, which got a remake. Brandon Fraser's Mummy and then Tom Cruise's Mummy. The Invisible Man. Uh, you could think of all of Universal Studios like monsters that we think of them now. Um, those were Wait, all did you just the say 30s. The Invisible Man? Yeah, that came out in the 30s. The original. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> so you do. So <laughs> I love that joke. I really do. I never get tired of telling you. <laughs> the, the 1930s is huge for Hollywood, and especially <laughs> Universal. Uh, oh, I don't yeah. know if Universal would be a studio right now if it wasn't for their horror. No, icon. It, like it's, Universal has um, been. Here's the thing about Universal that a lot of people don't know. It really what saved Universal many times um, has been the fact that they've released these groundbreaking horror films. At first, Universal was known for its monster movies, um, and they pay homage to that in their parks, which I think is kind of cool. Um, you know, and basically, it would be, I believe, films like Jaws that would end up saving Universal again. Was it, was mm -hmm. that not the case? Yep. yep. Financially speaking, because you know, studio yep. studios depended on receipts. Yep. It was all about the box office, man. It was all about the box office. No, 100%. Jaws did save him again. And in the 30s kind of created the behemoth that they became. Because uh, <laughs> those, those iconic movies and monsters that we think of now that eventually have all been remade uh, really come. Even The Werewolf of London, that's in the 1930s. Uh, that famously remade in the 70s, right? 80s, we're, we're, 82. 80s, and America, are we talking about American Werewolf of London? Yes. Yeah, that's 82. Okay, so, you know, even, but the original one, again, comes out in the 30s, right? So the 30s is this heyday of horror icons and, and, and horror. So you could say Hollywood definitely adds that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's always great to see what people are thinking about when you look at horror, when I like about horror in early days of horror. You can see what's in the zeitgeist of people because uh, John Carpenter famously said, and John Carpenter uh, is another famous uh, Halloween, uh, not Halloween, horror director and mm -hmm. icon. Mm -hmm. who uh, uh, we'll get to it, but uh, did Halloween. Uh, he, uh, he always said that horror is a reaction. It's not really a genre, it's a reaction. So when we talked about earlier about horror gets filtered in the lens of our feelings and our fears, that's yeah. kind of the same way. Horror changes and evolves based on, as filmmakers and society, what we're going through. Uh, interesting fact about John Carpenter, I don't know if you knew this, Rick, but did you know he originally got into filmmaking to make Westerns? Did not know that. Yeah, so originally he wanted to make westerns. Uh, he's known for like being one of the greatest 
like you know horror directors and writers out there but he really wanted to do westerns even snake plicks and and other characters you can see are left over from him doing a western style writing i uh, i can i plicks. can see that somehow to be yeah. honest with you uh yeah he really he really does that so i i and then in the 40s you kind of have I would say the 40s for early Hollywood is kind of the decline of horror movies. Not that they still aren't big, but they aren't as big as they were in the 30s. And you could probably kind of consist that to war because the 40s famously, we know what's happening in the world. So I'm guessing your horror movies don't really need to be as horrific when you have actual horrors happening in the world. Uh, so your horror tastes kind of change and your need for it changes. Yeah. So the 40s, you kind of get like more comedy horror than you do get horror anymore. And that's probably to alleviate the real horrors of war that most people were now trying to escape from rather than see. You know, as we talk about that reality, right? Horror movies yeah. get us to experience things we don't really get to experience. Well, in a horrific war is happening, uh, you don't want to go to the movies. You're already experiencing all the heart-filled fear and loneliness that you can with actual war news. Uh, so the rest of it's kind of trying to alleviate. You, you want that comedy horror pairing. Maybe we can make fun of the horror, the horrors that are happening. So you see that really happen in the 40s, uh, 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 really come up. That's your Abbott and Costello stuff, Me Frankenstein, those comedy horror and pairings. The mummy. Yeah, those are, now, those are kind of cool. So the 40s and 40s, you really start seeing that become huge into the 50s where you get the all of a sudden sci-fi atomic horror happening, right? Well, and, and I think I think and... that part of it was because at some point, you know, horror became horror became cartoony. Yep. Horror became very cartoony. Um, yes. And and that really has to do with the evolution of society and how yep. things change and then that's really when you start seeing like you said atomic and then eventually you start seeing the torture porn that first comes out where it's blood and gore and i think that really talks to the evolution of horror as a genre that can really adapt to any background but it's still horror oh you yeah know, it's still a horror film so yeah because in the 50s once you start getting away from the comedy horror you start getting sci-fi and atomic that's when Godzilla starts coming out, right? That's when you start getting the alien movies, like The Thing from Another World, and these big disaster movies, because now we have nuclear bombs. And they can some of them, and some of them were so terrible. Out. My God, some of them were so horrible. Oh, um, yeah. They were so, like, I remember seeing, um, watching, first of all, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great in watching these old movies. Which uh, is amazing because it's like you know when you see the when you see the when you see the gigantic monster being held up by strings and you're like oh so that's not part of the monster it's just the fact that it's a you know whatever to me it was absolutely hilarious couldn't have been um, couldn't have been any funnier to be quite honest. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing about the 50s um, and horror fiction besides, yes, the, the effects were terrible, is that you get sci-fi, which sci-fi as a genre in film really start existing in horror before it becomes its own thing. Like, really, before it becomes its own very distinct genre, 
uh, sci-fi and horror, which still lean a lot to this day, but in the past really linked up together in the 50s. Like some of the first sci-fi movies were very much horror. They're very much about aliens or creatures like the blob, the fly, which all remade eventually to better versions. I would say the remake of the fly with Jeff Goldblum and the blob that they did in the 80s, all much better than the original. Uh, uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, look, the fly with, if, if we're talking about the fly with Vincent Price, um, <laughs> they're, they're campy. They're campy still. Because I think you're still left over a little. But with Vincent Price's film, it wasn't really supposed. That's the funny part is when you when you see his work doing Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, that was campy and that was supposed to be campy. However, the Roger Corman films. However, when you see The Fly, The Fly was just like. I mean, the final scene. The guy comes like you. You see the little fly, and it's got like a little half a human head, and it says, "Fly." And Vincent Price grabs a gigantic boulder, sees it, knows that it's the kid's dad, and basically <laughs> squashes him and says, "Oh wow!" And he starts telling the kid these things about his father being a great man. I'm like, really, dude. Like, you guys yeah. could have come up with anything different <laughs> at all. And that's why they're on Mystery Science Theater, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not Vincent. I don't know. Vincent. I love Vincent Price. But um, no, but you see that. I, I do think there's this. I don't know, because of the new sci-fi and the horrors of war and technology and where they take them, mixed with the comedy pairing, like the 50s is just a weird era of horror. It's like the sci-fi horror morality lesson like thing that's going on in the 50s with the horror. What was uh, that big ensemble movie um, that sort of parodied that with... Uh, it has Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, it had these like... It's Mars like Attacks? Mars Attacks, yeah. Mars Attacks, yes. The re- I reboot, love that. It, remake, reboot, it was, re- I, don't, I wouldn't say so. I would say remake? it was more of a parody. It was a parody. It wasn't really a, a remake. It was a remake, anything. but they made it funny. It was a remake, technically, of Mars Attacks. It's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't yeah. watch... I gotta be honest, dude. I, I didn't see any... Like, <laughs> I saw some of the 50s stuff late, like later on when I was a kid, and I was like, this is garbage that's because the yeah. 60s ushered in the best new era of horror with of course the one man who you can't talk about early horrors without talking about alfred hitchcock he changed the face of horror he made horror from this campy sort of campy comedic makes a sci-fi thing to straight up suspenseful like he turned it to make it suspenseful psychological dealing with just different aspects and really what they were doing before and it wasn't now about a big monster destroying a town it was about the horror of like even individuals or a person and serial killers and slashers all the things well you think it was think about you know people whenever people think about hitchcock they think about birds they think about Psycho, Vertigo, Psycho and Vertigo and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, when I think about um, about Hitchcock in terms of horror films, I I gotta say Lifeboat is one of the most underrated but best horror films out there. And it's not 
because it had any particular it's just these people on a lifeboat that's where the majority of the movie takes place but the performances turned in can turn emotion so quickly it is insane just how pitch perfect that film was of an example of how you can have horror while still creating something that was that that's just based on on just pure dialogue. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of action in Lifeboat. There really isn't. You got to watch that film. It's not um, a lot of action there, but it is an incredible film, and it is. And that's horror. one of Hitch- Hitchcock's really main uh, uh, abilities as a director is that building suspense. Really. When we think of building suspense, that's Hitchcock in a nutshell. He really changed horror movies to build suspense to show that action is not required for horror. I mean, not to say that like Birds, I think, has a lot of action, but Psycho really doesn't. Uh, You know, Vertigo really doesn't. When you think about his movies, you don't think big action set pieces or chase scenes or like they're very, they build up to a moment. You have moments but it's not all slash, slash, slash through the whole thing. No. Uh, you, the, he builds to moments. He builds suspense. And Hitchcock really changes that to building suspense and horror uh, that I think, uh, again, it's, well, we're still influenced like by that. Hitchcock, day. I think, would build... He'll, Hitchcock would build to scenes that were iconic mm-hmm. so much so that the actual scene would almost define the entire film because that's what everybody remembers. If you remember, like, Janet Lee in Psycho dies, God, 30 minutes in? Yeah, 30 minutes in. Yeah, and she's, you know... um, Then there's scenes like the one in North by Northwest with the plane. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. I said, with Lifeboat, with Birds, there's any number of scenes that you could point to. Like, Hitchcock was really... He could built to that moment and then everything else after that was sort of bringing you down and solving the entire you know the entire thing then and there mm-hmm. yeah so and so I, I and so hitchcock and i know hitchcock was a piece of crap as an actual person uh <laughs> yes so he is a piece of crap as an actual person but uh his undeniable uh 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 uh, contributions to horror and changing the way we look at horror uh, uh, can't be understated because he did. Unfortunately, he didn't have to abuse anybody to do it, but he did. Uh, but in the 60s, we also Only get mentally and mental abuse is okay. Uh, apparently some sexual assault towards his female stars too. He was a horrible piece of crap. He, he, uh, was, but... he was, he was, look man, Hitchcock was all about the sexy time. <laughs> Uh, and I didn't mention this last podcast because sexy time makes me think about that. I got to mention it. Popcorn sexy is now my new favorite catchphrase for B movies. <laughs> movie. Oh, this movie's popcorn sexy. Um, I'm, I'm going to use that from now on. If you don't remember it, go back to our previous episode about reboots and remakes. Uh, Rick used it a couple of times there and I loved it. And I, I, I remember saying at the end of the podcast, I have to end that. And I totally forgot, but you just said that so this week, and so, that reminds So, so then, can we say that Hitchcock was inside joke preserved in poon? No, no, because he didn't get his poon willingly. Uh, 
<laughs> like, you know, like you can't, it can't happen if someone's unwilling. <laughs> so, good, good evening, have... good evening. This is Alfred Hitchcock Presents. <laughs> so the 60s also gave us one iconic monster and movie that still exists to this day, and you cannot imagine horror without George, uh, Romero. George Romero, George Romero's yeah. Night of the Living Dead, which comes out in 68. So the Absolutely. 60s gives us literal zombies, right? Which we are still within horror. So it gives us hit shock in the building of suspense. It gives us zombies. It gives us even movies like Rosemary's Baby and The Haunting and just other like really religious type, like scary apocalyptic mm -hmm. movies coming about. And these will kind of define horror going forward from Hitchcock to like Romero to the religious aspect. It kind of in the seventies blows blows up like uh, after this point the old man 70s, you know in the 70s we build on hitchcock to get slasher movies right uh we build on um uh we build on uh uh, uh, uh religious themes from like rosemary babies to get the exorcist we build on we build on so much uh with even apocalyptic movies uh to get from even dawn of the dead that's there but the psychological aspect from hitchcock gets to uh, 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 the Texas Chainsaw Massacre gets to Black Christmas, gets to these movies that kind of define slashing, slashing, monster, apocalyptic movies for really horror then on. So the 70s kind of refines horror to what we know it as yeah. today. The 70s kind of refines that. And that really comes from the people in the 60s who redefine horror away from and that campy silliness of the 50s, kind of. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of films out there that were really good that didn't get enough credit uh, that were done in the 70s. There was one with a young John Travolta and with Tom Skerritt and uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine. Um, can you look this up, Jonathan? See if you can find it. Because I, I, I can't remember the name. Let me just look up John Travolta film. Uh, I got you. Uh, doo -doo -doo. uh the devil's rain with also with also our favorite uh star trek captain uh, william shatner the devil's rain um that's your favorite mine is captain jean-luc picard patrick stewart all day baby cisco follow yeah. second oh janeway Ooh, cisco yeah. janeway i love me captain janeway I love me some Jane White. Still, they all love they all love Captain they all love Captain Kirk more than they love themselves, so it's okay. <laughs> um, no, but realistically, this film, The Devil's Reign, was it, it. And I'm not gonna say that it was a great film, but it was. It played upon visual subtleties. Like at one point, Ernest Borg, Borgnine, his face looks like a like a like a goat head like the devil's goat head or whatever it is an absolute an absolutely wonderful film to look at how subtleties can actually work out the black eyes you know like the black contact lenses and and uh and the um, silk hooded robes you know like to sim sim simplify mm -hmm. a, a druid zombie or things like that and those films are actually, to me, a lot scarier than something that would be torture porn. Because, again, torture porn is a big thing now. But back then, it was like, how can we scare you by just getting a quick shot of someone's eyes totally black? 
or just the split second of someone that looks all of a sudden like what the devil would look like if he wasn't, you know, like personified. Yeah. I mean, that to me was That's great. True. The 70s starts the gore trend, honestly. The 70s is when you start seeing gore. Because if we talk about the 60s and Hitchcock and even Dawn on the Death, horrific, they weren't gory as we think of gore now. If you go back and watch those, those aren't really gory. 70s movies really start the gore. The slasher movies really start the gore. They also start the they also start this weird thing about sex and teenagers and relationships and slasher movies. You know, your pure virgin final girl teen, which is true, John Carpenter, Halloween, which also releases in the 70s, kind of starts that, well, yeah, starts that rule and goes on. Uh, uh, you, you, the 70s are a wild time for horror movies. I think that if you want to see <laughs> Like you said, learning how to use costumes, because 70s use costume well, learning how to use gore, learning how to use sex. 70s all kind of like threw everything to the wall and went at it. Um, I, I, I really do think 70s is a crazy time. And, and the funny, it, well, it was the me decade, first of all. So it was all, it, you know, there was a lot of that. But, but also you have to understand, horror movies help a lot of virginities be lost as also... You know what I'm saying? Uh, I guess you, <laughs> they you became really have movies. the 70s. I, I agree. It's the same decade that literally has, um, from The Exorcist to The Chainsaw Massacre to The Rocky Horror Picture Show to, to Dawn Jaws. of the Dead to Alien to Enemy of the Horror to, you know, The Hills Have Eyes to The Omen. You can see all these different type movies that are such classics and remakes to this day that happened in the 70s. Even the idea of taking your date to get laid at a movie theater in a horror movie, which probably comes actually from the 50s, now that I think about it. But the 70s, 50s and the drive-thrus. The 70s really takes it as like, this is where you get the adrenaline rush. These right. You, you get, you like get... the exorcist actually scared people more. Like people were fainting in audiences. This is when like the real like, ooh, this is going to be like, a suspenseful date because we're seeing a scary movie. Yeah, I think really more than the sixties. That, that's 60s. where I truly have to be able to talk to time how the arm is going to go up and around. Around, mm -hmm. you know, and and I'll be like, you know, the the line will be like, hey, baby, don't worry, that monster is not going to get you. You know, yep. that kind Cause of... Because sexy teenagers, because sex comes in the 70s. Yeah. Even Jaws has sexy teenagers. I mean, getting... it's sex had all... Yeah, but sex was so... In the 70s, it was like... Jaws starts out with a very sexy girl getting eaten up Teenage while girl, swimming man. naked. Yeah. So this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre the year before, which also has sex teen. But these are like, you know, this is sex. Sex gets involved into horror, I want to say. Literally like sexy teens is the 70s. Yeah, right? because if you like, look if you look at horror in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In the in the fifties, people were dressed with boots and and freaking you know space dresses, space garb. So there wasn't anything really sexy about that, you know. Frankenstein, I don't think he had any moves when he got his bride. You know what I'm saying? Um, and um, it just it seemed like in the seventies because there was that freedom that had been accomplished in the sixties, and it really. Like in the seventies, it was like like okay, let's all just have a big you know sexy party, let's get popcorn sexy and and let's do this. Oh thing. no, popcorn sexy is the eighties. Eighties is defined by popcorn sexy because this is when you get the slasher movies 
and then all the sequels and runoffs and BS. But there were so many films, and actually there was one that Grace Jones did, and I think it was in '85. And my God, like if you if I defy you to find somebody um, sexier than Grace Jones in the '80s, you're gonna be hard pressed to do that. No, there was this one. Um, where she's like a vampire, like a soul-sucking vampire. Hold on, I think I'm looking for it. Uh, uh, vamp. It was Vamp, where she plays Katrina. Um, so in this particular... Um, so let me read to you some of the things about Vamp so you can understand, okay? Yeah. Plot. I'm reading this from the Wikipedia page, but it's fairly accurate. I've, I've read it. I've, I've proofed it for errors. Um, two college students, Keith and AJ, want to help a stripper to buy their way into campus fraternity. Or, or no, want to hire a stripper to, you know, find their way into a campus fraternity. Already there's going to, you know. They borrow a Cadillac from lonely rich student Duncan, who insists on coming with them to scope out strip clubs in a nearby city. Um, the three boys find themselves at a club in a shady part of town after being impressed by a surreally artistic stripper, Katrina. This is Grace Jones, who, I mean, she was literally like the popcorn sexiest ever. Um, AJ visits her dressing room to try and convince her to come strip for their college party. Katrina seduces AJ and, and she gets pretty like naked on this, not like full on naked, but just Holy crap, those are really her boobs naked? Mm-hmm. And uh, pins him down, killing him with a fatal blow to the neck. Yeah. Now, imagine a lot of neon colors. All right? Just a ton of neon colors. Lots of boobies. And you got Vamp. And that movie came out in what year? 86. 86. The popcorn uh, sexy. Yeah. The popcorn sexy B movie time of the year is the 80s they took the 70s and it was really? a summer movie too yeah because the 70s were using like when i say starts using sex as, as like a thing but the 80s took that and said all right we heard you sex and slashers got you and that's the, and that's what the 80s did with horror <laughs> but uh i mean that's when you get your nightmare and i'll speak your friday the 13th you you, you really get that um, from all of the My my Bloody Valentines, the prom nights, the, all the slashers you could think of explode in the 80s, really. Uh, but then you also have an interesting thing in the 80s where you start getting comedy coming back into horror. Yeah. And we were talking about it. It kind of died out, right? Like the the third, uh, the 40s and 50s kind of had comedy, but then it died out a little bit. Uh, but this is when you start getting Evil Dead, your Ghostbusters, which Ghostbusters is a horror comedy. Uh, which also does have sex because Dan Aykroyd gets a BJ in the first Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Don't know why they let kids watch it. It is definitely not for kids. Uh, the second Ghostbusters is. The first one is not. The second Ghostbusters did, did, is the same. Did you ever see Transylvania, what's it called, 5? With Jim Carrey? No. Tra- no, no. That was, that was Earth Girls Are Easy. No, um, there's uh, Never Been Bitten with Jim Carrey. Never Been Bitten man. with Jim's, with uh, Jim Carrey and uh, that's Cl- Clavon Little, isn't that? Transylvania 6-5000 or Transylvania with Jeff Goldblum. That's with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, yeah. Yes, yes. So, yes. I, again, I see all popcorn sexy movies. I love popcorn. I love to get popcorn sexy. 
Uh, I'm going to use that for now on. Uh, but that's also where you get gremlins. And this is also uh -huh. where Freddy also becomes from a very terrifying figure in the first Nightmare on Elm Street to the almost. jokey dude yeah. that we know too as the 80s, 90s. So you have a lot of sexy slashers in the 80s, but comedy and horror comedy also kind of gets this ticked back up a little bit too. But I think that as you had that, the only problem is that led way to the 90s essentially being all about, and early 2000s probably, being all about repetition. Yep. Like horror became all about fucking repetition. Let's do this, let's do that, let's do this, let's do that. The one time where I would say that it, it changed, but it, it then it turned into repetition yet again. Um, it would have to be with Scream, because Scream was kind of like a different. It, it was almost like a not a reinventing self referential. Of the genre. It yeah, got self referential, but yeah. it, it just became all about like. We know horror movies. We get it. We've done. Yeah, it. we. Yeah, it's like. I know what you did know. last summer. Oh, we know the rules. Don't you know? It's all self-referential, really. The what was the one? The Thirteen Ghosts, the one with the uh... the remake of Thirteen Ghosts. Because Thirteen Ghosts is a remake. <laughs> but Thirteen Ghosts was it? Was it also? Because I didn't see the original. Like I it's saw the, the one thousands. It's in the two thousands. No, I saw that one. Yeah. With uh, Matthew Lillard and. Yes. Um... Mm -hmm. The guy from Monk, which I forget, Tony Shayub. Tony Shalhoub, yes. Yeah, and it. I, I love that only because I love the set. I gotta be honest oh, that, with you. That house is a great set. It was and a great again set. creative, imaginative design. People go really crazy for it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, the '90s gets this like when you're 100 percent right, it becomes repetitious so much because the slasher movies basically keep just making them. And so horror kind of jokes on these slasher movies. That's what Scream does. You do get some really high-class horror movies, i.e. Silence of the Lambs. So you still have that Hitchcockian vibe still running through uh, throughout all of but a lot. But basically they changed that to become what's called a psychological thriller. Like they try to make yeah. it a separation and they try to call it a psychological thriller, which it, to some degree it was because of the mm -hmm. character, your main antagonist and protagonist, which is Hannibal Lecter. Yes. But... What I find funny is that films like the Jason films in the 90s and stuff like that, Jason X, all this other crap, Freddy, 10,000, Freddy was just all this stuff. Like they start, their budgets start getting essentially lower and lower to the point mm -hmm. where it's usually about a 9 to $10 million film. While mm -hmm. your your major films like Schwarzenegger's films and all these people's um, films are, you know, 50 to $60 million budgets. These guys are only getting 11 million to gross 12, 15, 16 million. So technically not even really making a profit. And it isn't until lower budget films like Scream, which wasn't supposed to be a hit. That first one wasn't supposed to be a hit by any stretch of the imagination. Like that was not, that was one of those, oh, it happened. The first um, Saw had like a $5 million budget, so did the second one, but they made like between 50 or 60 or 70 million. The only time where I think every rule was broken to make a hodgepodge of things that when you saw it, it sort of came off as a horror movie was the Blair Witch Project. Well, the Blair Witch Project is 99, and that really does start the new age that goes into 2000 flicks. Even though technically it's a 90 flick, 
that and the sixth sense happened at the end of the 90s 99 so they influenced the 2000s greatly because yeah. Blair Witch Project becomes what Saw and everything else are chasing. Low budget, no money spent, but returns are stellar. The Blair Witch Project made over a hundred million, but it's it like six hundred percent of its budget. Budget. It made a ridiculous amount yeah. of what yeah. it spent to what it made. So much so that movies that everybody started chasing that. Like, oh, you don't have to spend money. Just give them no money, and we'll get these ridiculous returns on. Because um, we could just do found- which, which was a stupid thought process. Because the thing that really led to Blair Witch being a hit isn't the fact that it was great or even innovative. It's the fact that people, the way that it was promoted, it was well promoted. Mm-hmm. It was promoted as this actually happened, and because you didn't actually have very good actors, you just had people being themselves. It was a fucking student film, basically, mm-hmm. and you had these guys saying, "Oh." Did it happen? Oh my god, it did happen. Look at how shitty the quality of the video is. Listen, I watched Blair Witch Project when it came out in 99. Like, I went to a theater to watch it. And it was scary as fuck because that's how it was being promoted. Like, until later on, it's like, gotcha, motherfuckers. This was all just a movie. They're all alive. So I didn't watch Blair Witch Project in the theaters. I caught it at home. Uh different story blockbuster because you know i'm old uh so (laughs) different story different story at home uh no no so i never found blair witch scary i did watch it but i'm a again horror movie aficionado i watched it by myself when it was raining scary night outside but never found it scary i actually hated blair witch and i think it ruined horror movies for a very long time but i get why people like it because i agree with you it was the marketing rather than the marketing it wasn't the quality the footage was whatever it wasn't the acting it wasn't anything in particular other than it had that oh my god is this real effect because the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is when they actually did book of shadows a few years later not that long after with the guy from uh burn notice who stars in it right mm-hmm. it was absolute garbage it's trash. It was absolutely trash. Book of Shadows was supposed to have this full script. Book mm-hmm. of Shadows was supposed to have everything that the first one didn't. And the assumption was, because it's got everything, it's going to be a massive hit. Uh, no, let's see. It had bad acting. Yep. It had a terrible, stupid story. Yep. Like, you couldn't get behind any of the fucking characters. And then you realize, like, okay, this is crap. This was a one-off thing that you know worked for the people that did it when they did it but it was actual garbage so yeah yeah and that's true and um a hundred percent but that really brings us to kind of the 2000s i don't want to talk too much that's contemporary art but (laughs) it's not about the 90s which i would say because in 2000s and on we're talking about remakes and influencing each other and we're going through that right now right Mm -hmm. so we think of the 90s i'm going to say let's 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 do the 90s of the last one really talk to uh, uh, there, but that's kind of like the evolution of horror and where it's gone and where it's going. Uh, do you want to say anything more about the 90s? Since I, we probably didn't talk about them more, so that's a self-referential. You do have a little more things going off, but I think that the interesting part of the 90s is what happens at the end of the 90s, such as The Sixth Sense, uh, such as Blair Witch Project, you know, such those influence, I think, the next generation, 2000, much more than what yeah. they 
they didn't really look like the rest of the 90s. You know what I mean? No, that was no. the turning point. It didn't look there, like the rest. But, but, and here's the thing. There's always going to be a turning point because what's going to happen is someone's going to say, okay, let me look back at everything that's been made. Mm-hmm. Let me look back at how I can make it different and how I can actually make it work where it's not about torture, where it's not about – where really it's a story that's driving you and that very drive is what actually gets you involved. Um, yep. And I, I think that's the nineties did a good job of that, because um, they were worried about their villains in the nineties as well, giving more story to them. Yeah. When I say villains, this is like your Freddy, your Jasons, more of the Leprechaun even comes out, more of anti-hero, knowing more about your villains and what is happening with them, much less than them just being crazed people who just want to kill you. There's a little more look, attention. To that. Look, I know Leprechauns. And I'll be damned if some fucking leprechaun comes at me with little magic. No, that ain't happening. That ain't yeah, happening, at least, leprechaun. At least he's better than Child's Play. I never got why Chucky was scary. I was scared as Chucky as a kid. When I was a kid, like five, six, seven, I was terrified of Chucky. You know, when I got older, when I got older, I stopped being terrified of a doll because I would punt that doll across the. the you know room. why you stopped being terrified of Chucky? Because after Child's Play 2, after Child's Play 2, every piece of film that was made on Child's Play, and I'm sorry because I love Mark Hamill, but it was all crap. And I'm sorry. It's not because the movies got crap. It's literally because I just got bigger. And then I stopped being afraid of small things. You know what I mean? So Leprechaun, at least he had magic or a way to kill you. Because at least Leprechaun to me was more scary. We love you, Mike. Anyway, um... Uh, no, no, yeah, Leprechaun is Mike's size, so then he's more scary. As like, because out of any of those old 80s slasher, who's the one that you want to face the most? It's obviously Chucky. Out I of mean, all the 80s slashers, obviously I, see, So I, I love Chucky always. The first one was scary because it had that psychological element, and it didn't oh, play, like You didn't that. see the doll do that shit. I understand that, but if you had to fight one of the 80 slashers, which one would you fight? Oh, Leprechaun. Hands down. He's a 90s slasher. True. What you know from your Well, from no, your but faces? wait a second. Second, like, Chucky really took off in the 90s. Started in 88. Yes, I give you that. But it took off in the 90s. Sorry. Fine. Of all the slashers, you're telling me out of Leatherface, Leprechaun, Freddy, Jason, Mike Myers, Chucky... Uh, uh, who else? Uh, uh, the screen guy, the 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 screen face or tall face. Uh, 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 who, who else? Who else do you want to put in there? Uh, Deadites. I don't care. Uh, Carrie. Any of these people? And you telling me out of all of those, you don't want to fight? Ch- I fight Chucky. Chucky's the one you can obviously beat. He's a dog. Put him in the face. You're done. And he's like, I got a knife. Cool, man. I got physics. And you punch him in the face, and he's done. He's a dog. Just kick him in the face. And you're saying, and you're telling me, and you're telling me that Leprechaun is actually going to be able to do something, man. Yes. I kick Leprechaun. Yes. I, I kick that little Warren bitch Davis on the face. Size. He I, is Ward Davis size and not doll size. So he is. He I is will Take him in his stronger. little balls and his little tripod. I will kick the shit out of him, and then I'll be like, I'm taller, and you're just going to have to accept the fact he also has magic. Chucky got a regular house knife with a doll arm. Dolls ain't got strength. I'm facing Chucky all day. 
Shut up. You know what? Up. We're going to save this for another day where we're going to find out what slashers we could be. Uh, okay. We're going to do I a slasher. Okay, fine. We'll do a slasher tournament, and I'll beat the shit out of all of them because I'm not. Well, yeah, I'm scared out of a few. I'm, I'm scared of a few of them. Yeah. We'll do a slasher. Uh, That's right. Come tune in next week. We're going to continue our horror movie where we're going to find out what slashers we could be. That's right. Uh, uh, we're going to realistically, maybe a best slasher, but I think I like who slashers we could be. We're going to fight it out. We'll let you know. All right, let's find out what the fucking slashers is. I'm not taking this shit. Yeah, so we'll find out. So you join us next week on Cinemagic, where we're going to find out what slashers we can be. In the meantime, uh, drop us a like, comment, share. You know know what to do. Tell people, hey, next week you got to see which slashers these dudes think they can be. Um, it's uh, obviously going to be there. I'm going to get a special guest judge. We're going to we're, we're gonna put it up here. We're going to do it up. So tell everybody to listen to the next week's episode. Thank you for all your comments. Uh, any Absolutely. suggestions or anything they should watch out there? Maybe an earlier horror movie from the decades that we said? Oh, uh, man. If, if I'm going to recommend an earlier horror movie, um, just to mess with you, probably Child's Play 1. The very original Child's Play in 1988. Watch right. that. Look it up. All right, and I'm actually gonna say. And also, Duke last Classic. action hero, last action hero. It is horrible, and kind of like a horror, horror movie. movie. That's, that's so I'm I am gonna go with a straight up classic and say watch Nosferatu. Most people haven't seen uh one of the very that's very old good. time flicks, but see why it horrified people. How this genre started to the to the mindset that it is in today. Watch Nosferatu, man. Go go ahead. Yeah, you could I think it. Amazon got it criteria, but you can find it. I think I think you can find it pretty easily. Maybe YouTube has it, uh, but you can find it pretty easily. I say watch that. Uh, so that's all of us in Cinemagic. Thank you for joining us on this very scary, scary podcast. And I'll see you next time to find out what slashes you can take. That's right.